No, you don't know how to answer that question, do you? No, nothing? It's your church service, right? Um, welcome. Thanks for being here. Uh, it's a beautiful day, so thanks for coming to church when you didn't necessarily have to. Um, if I didn't have to, I might not have, but... Um, but I'm here now. So, hey, if you haven't picked up your series guide, we want to make sure that you pick up your series guide for Uncomfortable. Also, um, if you get it delivered to you every single week through the app, it will start this, e this afternoon, actually, at 2 p.m. Um, with the introduction, and then we start on day one tomorrow. So it's going to start coming again. Hopefully, that's something that's been a blessing to you, and you will be able to continue to study and that sort of thing. Um, we call this uh, Campus Week, but I'm calling it Vision Sabbath because we spent five weeks talking about our end statements, those things that make us who we are, these statements that say we will be a community of belonging, we will be an advocate for those, you know, who are marginalized and oppressed in our society, those types of things. And so now we got to talk a little bit about how we take that vision and we put it into play. And vision's really important, right? Visions show up in scripture. God often used visions to call people to specific tasks or purposes, um, you know, whether it's Abraham or Samuel or Jeremiah or Isaiah, Zechariah, even Cornelius, for example. But when God gave those people a vision, they knew what direction they were called to move to follow his purpose in their lives. Um, whether it was Abraham needing to travel to Canaan or Jeremiah to share God's message with his people, Zechariah knowing he and his wife needed to prepare for having a son, whatever it was, you had this direction, you had this understanding, you kind of knew where it was. And now some of these visions were actual visions, right? Some of these visions were actually visions and dreams, while others were just an understanding of the God-given direction that God had for their lives. And we've spent five weeks talking about the direction and the vision that we believe God has given us and the theology that underpins that. And we believe that those guidance over the years have brought us to this place. Vision is important. Right? Proverbs 29, 18 says it this way in the Message Bible. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Now, you've heard this text before, but you've probably heard it like this. Without vision, the people perish. Right? So we have learned our purpose. But how do we make that practical in the upcoming year? Now, before I talk about that, I just want to talk about my, a little bit of my relationship with Crosswalk Church, right? So I won't belabor this, but in the beginning, when Crosswalk was beginning, um, before it was beginning, the guy who we brought out here to help, not to plant this church, he came to be the young adult pastor at, um, at Azure Hills Church because this was a young adult group at Azure Hills Church. That was 20 years ago, so all those young adults are old. Um, yeah, Pedro, I'm looking at you. <laughs> And you're looking at me, so it's okay. Um, when Michael Kinect came out here, he was, he was a guitar player in a band I was playing in. It was really hard to practice when he was in Illinois and I was in California. So we got him out here, and, um, and he began to help build this church with the people who are already there. This church has always been on the cutting edge of innovation. I believe this was the first church to stream, live stream their, uh, their um, services back way back in the day. It's really phenomenal. But, um, you know, the church grew and all that sort of thing. We're going to fast forward to 2014, I had been out of ministry for a little while. And um, as we thought we might be called back into ministry, the truth is my wife and I just wanted to be in a church that we wanted to attend, right? There were some great churches around, but every time we went to them, it just didn't really feel like home for us, right? Great churches, just not for me. Great people, 
just wasn't connecting. Great communities, again, just not for me. Because what I wanted overall was the idea of hope, right? When I first started preaching, I went to my dad and I was like, hey, dad, you've been preaching for a long time. You're quite old. Um, Why don't you tell me what I should do? Like, how should I be a preacher? What should I do? And he said, well, just make sure that you give them hope. And we wanted to find a church or we wanted to belong to a church that was about hope, that was about grace, that was about belonging, and that was about action. So the truth is this. These vision statements are phenomenal. They're wonderful. However, if we can't put them into action as a church, then they're great statements, but they don't mean a lot. And here's the thing. When I talk about the church putting these things into action, I'm not talking about from here on. I'm actually talking about from here that direction because you are the church. These things don't happen unless we commit to doing those things personally together. This is how we do this. And I've been thinking about this, and I think there's some reasonable and practical ways to continue to head towards the vision that God has given us. But this is for all of us and for things that we can, and things that we can put into our lives over this next year. And so one of the first things that I think we need to do, and it's a long list, just so you know, this sermon's a a long list of things. But the first thing that I think we need to do is this, commit every day to be in Scripture. Spend a portion of each day in a portion of Scripture. Now, if you get the series guides, that's going to be really easily delivered to you. That's great. You're following along with us. Praise God for that. But if that's not your thing, that's not not the way you want to move, Get in Scripture somehow. Find either some study materials. Find a way that you are in Scripture every single day. Now, the reason why this is important is not simply because we just want you to know what's right or we want you to be following along in the sermons, even though that's great. It's because we want you to know God better. That is why we go to Scripture, to understand who God is. And if you love someone, you need to spend time with them. I've never been, I've done a lot of premarital counseling. I've never met with a couple who said this. I've never met with a couple who said, Pastor Tim, we want to get married so we can spend less time together. I've never met that couple. And if I do meet that couple, we're going to have a lot more premarital counseling because it doesn't feel like they should be getting married at all. You get married because you want to spend more time with someone. You become exclusive because you want to spend more time with someone. We want to spend every day in Scripture so that we understand and know our God that much more. And, and Scripture speaks to it, right? Romans ten seventeen, faith comes from hearing, right? That is hearing the good news about Christ. And we understand that all of Scripture breathes Christ into the world. We need this constant reminder to keep what is important in our lives important. Also, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. Each portion of scripture can be used to teach, to direct, and to remind us of his grace. Jumping back to Romans, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Now, Paul, even in his day, was saying, listen, some of the stuff we're talking about is from a long time ago. It was, it was a long time ago that this stuff was written, but it shows us who God is. Because what happened is God revealed himself to the biblical writers. The writers were then inspired to write and wrote what had been revealed to them by God about God. So we understand God more as we go to Scripture. So if you're wondering how this book that is so old, can continue to be important to us, 
Understand that the writers in biblical times weren't thinking, hey, I'm going to write something that's relevant for them in 2023 in Redlands, California, because they didn't know California. They weren't thinking of that. What they were doing is they were focusing on God and the revelation that God was giving them. And so we study scripture to see who God is. We don't study scripture to see who we are. We find ourselves in the knowledge of God, but we don't go to scripture to figure out where we fit, because when we do that, then scripture weirdly becomes about us. And nobody was thinking about you when they were writing scripture. I hope that's not news to you. It's okay. They love you. They just weren't thinking about you. They were thinking about God. By the way, this has a tendency to motivate us when we find new truths about God and new understandings about God. This has a tendency to motivate us to create something new in the world. And I believe that we are actually all creators by nature. This is one of the images that we carry of God in our own DNA. So I think we need to make something new. I don't care if it's poetry or food or art or fashion or writing or music or anything else, but you need to be involved in creating new things for the world that show the world what and who God is. And all of us have this sort of maker capacity within us, but it's gonna, it's gonna show itself, it's gonna express itself in many different ways. And the reason why I think that we all need to be involved in the creation of new things in the world is that I think the church has really gotten lazy and has been really com- complacent and is fine with imitating the world. When we need to be imitating Christ and creating new art, new music, new poetry, new everything into the world. Because I think this is important because God is someone who is constantly creating and creating something new, right? Second Corinthians, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, right? God is in the midst of creating you into a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. He's creating something new in you and for you to be new, then you should create new things too. New life, new things. Isaiah 43 speaks to it as well, but forget all that. He's talking about all the things that were before. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. God's like, I've done some great things, but I'm going to do new things now. I'm going to do phenomenal, exciting new things. And then Isaiah 43, 19, for I am about to do something new. We've talked about this text a lot. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I'll make pathways through the wilderness. I'll create rivers in the wasteland. And what he makes new is not only new, but it's new and improved. Not like new and improved toothpaste, right? They just change the color and you go buy it and you're like, oh, it's so different. It's the same. But a brand new thing. Isaiah 65, 17. Look, I'm creating new heavens and a new earth. No one will even think about the old ones anymore. So join in the creation of things. From everywhere, there should be new creations springing forth in order for us to be engaged in what is new through Jesus. I want to encourage that in each one of you, that we become a creative congregation. I think that's really important. And by the way, in doing that, you get excited. You get passionate about what God is doing through you, through this community. And one thing I want you to do this next year is I want you to bring someone new one time. And you've heard me say this before, but you have to understand that this is your evangelism. Right? It's simple and it's important. If we want the kingdom of God to expand, it's not by how many new programs we put together to hopefully find somebody who's interested out in the world that we don't know. The way that we expand the kingdom of God is by you committing to bringing someone in the next year to church. Our promise to you is that we won't embarrass you right? You'll have good coffee. You'll have good music. Hopefully there'll be a coherent sermon if somebody else is preaching. Like, it's okay. You will... 
It'll be, we won't preach against anything so they won't walk out thinking that we just hate on things. They will have this wonderful experience of community. The outcome, whether they come back or not, that's really up to God, but we want you to be engaged in the process. The outcome is not up to you. The outcome is up to God. But we only grow when you decide to, well, like it says in 2 Corinthians, understand that we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We all have this responsibility. So begin praying about those who you might give the invitation to. Because at some point in your life, someone gave you an invitation to come and be part of the kingdom of God. And why would we hold that back from somebody who might just need it? And it's as simple as a, hey, you know what? Let's go to lunch, but let's get coffee first. Oh, there's a church here. Like, don't, don't. Don't do it that way. That would be, that'd be so mean, right? Someone's like, where's that music coming from? That's weird. I'm like, oh, I didn't know. Maybe we should go in here. That's not, don't do that. Um, but listen, I get it. Some of you are like, well, you know, I come to this church, but I don't really know this church that much. I don't really like, I don't really know what's going on. I'm a little nervous to bring a friend. Okay, so it's time to change that. It's time for you to join a ministry, right? Enough consuming of what we do here. It's time for you to join in in what we do. We made an argument last week that we're all servant leaders, that we've all been called to lead, or we've all been called to support leaders. And we all have been gifted in certain ways. Ephesians 4.11 says it this way. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Now, we've made the argument that you're all evangelists by simply giving someone an invitation, right? So maybe it's time to be a teacher, right? Working in the kids' programs. Or you know what? You know what? Even the people that stand at the doors are teachers. You know that. When someone walks in and is like, where's the bathroom? And they go, over there, teacher, (laughs) right? And maybe a very timely teacher, depending on the person they're speaking to and how long the drive was. Um, Pastors caring for people. Right, I get it. Apostle, that one's a big one, but we don't all, we're not all called to be apostles necessarily, but, but we're all servant leaders, so join in. And some of you might not be joiners, right? Some of you just don't like to join things. When everybody joins things, that's when you're like, nah, not me. Like, you're the people who find the music early, and then when everybody else likes it, you're like, well, I used to like them until they sold out, which means now they're making a living, and you don't want them to. Haters, man. Some of you are not joiners. If that's fine, you don't have to join, then lead, right? So people can join what you're doing. And if you don't feel like you can do any of that, 3 John 1.8 says it this way, so we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. So if we need to, we can be people who just support those who are doing ministry, but you're still joining in, you're still engaging. You've got to stop just consuming church and being a part of church because everyone needs help. We can't do this ourselves, nor should we have to. We've been brought into a community to serve those who come, to serve those who lead, and also to be leaders as well. The good news is we don't do this alone, right? God is with us through every single step of this process. So no matter what we're talking about, we're not walking this path by ourselves. But now we need to join hands and do it together. Another thing that I think is going to really be important in your life as well as important for the life of the church is that you need to give consistently, right? This is a practical way that you can help grow the church and allow its work to continue. Listen, this is not the first century. We're not doing church the way we used to, right? We're not just all going sitting under an olive tree, 
and you all just bring your own lunches and we like make them go longer. That'd be cool. You wouldn't come. You know that, right? Because you've decided to come to this church because you like some of the things that we do. It's, it, it costs money to continue to do this work. We, we are as transparent as we can be. You can always look at our books and see what we're doing with, uh, with the finances that you trust us with. We want to be good stewards. This goes for every single one of our campuses. Um, but being a part of it is important. And, and there's a way to give, right? Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. So we don't want anybody to go into debt to forward the work of the church. I don't think we need to do that. I think there's enough in the portion that God has given every single one of us. Understand that every single one of you will give a ton. That ton just weighs different for every single person. Right? Some people can give a million dollars a year and some people can give 10. Whatever God is calling you to give, just give consistently. And it says this, you must decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. And I hope you know that we really try not to pressure here. We just want you to be involved and connected. That's important to us. In fact, I've had people who come to church here and they'll come and they'll go, Pastor, I, did, I don't know if you, you guys forgot to take up offering. I'm like, oh yeah, we don't do that. And like, well, how does anyone give? And we're like, 21st century, like through their phones. Like you guys have been phenomenal at the way that you've given, but we try not to pressure you to do it. But we do believe that you should be giving from God's increase. And then there's, of course, this Malachi text, right? Which is the greatest text of all about giving. And um, it says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, don't get stuck on that word. Um, the way the Seventh-day Adventist church does it is that tithes go to the denomination and it blesses the local church by um, being part of the organization as well as funding that comes back for its pastors. And there's a whole formula that that happens. But local churches have to pay for their local church ministry as well. And you understand the division between those. So we want you to give to tithe. We want you to give to local church ministry as well. Um, anyway, it says bring the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I love this, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough to take it in. Right? That's awesome. That's phenomenal. And then he says something that God doesn't say anywhere else in Scripture. He says, test me on this. Listen, if God only says it once, you should try it. You should be like, okay, I'm going to test you in it. See if you're not blessed. It seems, I don't know if it's a money-back guarantee. That, uh, that's not the language that we're using. That's not the language I'm using, just to be clear. I hope that's on the record somewhere. Um, but God says, listen, test me on this. See if I don't bless you. See if this isn't like the way that it goes. So test God on it. If you haven't been consistent in the way that you give before, I think it's time that you start doing that. Enough of that. Um, I also think, though, as you're, as you're committed, as you're connected, as you're joining, as, as all this is happening, one of the things that it does is it, it should be building up a passion within you, right? It should be building up this passion for the kingdom of God, this passion for community, this passion, also a passion for worship. And I think it's time that we worship recklessly. I think we need to move into a spirit of worship even more powerfully than we have before. Because the truth is this, we live, live really anxious really nerve-wracking lives a lot of the times. We, we very rarely in our lives have the opportunity to let things go and to simply be in the presence of God. 
when we have that opportunity, we need to lean in that, into that really powerfully. When I think about this, when I think about worshiping recklessly, I think about the story of Mary washing Jesus' feet with her hair and with this extravagantly expensive lotion, right? And she's wiping his feet and cleaning his feet and making it beautiful. And Judas, of all people, Judas says, hey, this is ridiculous. You shouldn't lather that on him because we can sell that and give it to the poor. And what's funny is that in the text, even John's not buying it. John's like, but we all know Judas. He didn't really care about the poor. There's this narrative in it. And then this is what Jesus says. Jesus replied, hey, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial, which I don't think they always understood at the time, right? And then he says this, you will always have the poor among you. He's not letting us off the hook on caring for the poor. Absolutely he's not. What he's doing is he's saying, today I need you to recognize that I'm in the room, that the presence of God is here. It's palpable. It's real. You can see it, smell it, touch it. That's what she's doing. She's washing its feet. I'm the presence of God. I am here. And in worship, we get an opportunity to experience the presence of God and to put everything else aside. And some of us can't let go. I see it. I see it when you worship. You want to. You're starting to lean in, but you can't do it. Maybe it's our upbringing, right? We grew up in those like, you know, you know. And yeah, I think I, I, think I was really blessed, right? Because we grew up, I grew up at Los Area University Church. Donald Vaughn was the organist. I think he like built the organ and he did. And this dude knew how to rock out an organ. So like when it came to, like it was hymns for sure, but we were in it and like my family loved to sing. So we're like four part harmony singing at the top of our lungs. It's like 108 decibels in the church, like going for it, right? The church is just shaking. So like I got really lucky. I've been to some churches where like, it's like they put handcuffs on you. If somebody begins to raise a hand, people are like, what's going on? That's a little Pentecostally for us. Listen, we're Avenus. There's a long way to go before we get kind of Pentecostal. <laughs> like we wouldn't even know how to do it. We'd fall before we'd figure it out. People are like, no, nah, that's not how it works. Um, but, but I sense it sometimes, like when we worship, like I don't know if you guys were listening to the bass today. Were you guys listening to the bass today? Like particularly, because this is what I love about bass players. Bass players can be reckless and you won't even know it because it's like three extra notes. Right, like a drummer is reckless and like that drummer's going for it, but you kind of expect that from a drummer, right? He's playing drums, that's what he's supposed to do. If you were watching bass player today, he's like playing and he goes, that's it. And he gets a smile on his face, the whole band's like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. He's like, ah, like he was out there, like he put himself out there, that's it, right? So it looks different for every single person, right? But I think we need to lean into this idea of reckless abandon or worship because it's the time that we recognize the presence of God is with us. And we need to recognize that and let everything else fall apart in our lives sometimes. Let it fall away so we can just be in the presence of God. This year, I'm going to ask that you pray anyway. And what I mean by that is that you pray anyway, even when you don't know if it's working or not. Even if it doesn't feel like it's working. Even if you don't know how it works. All right, even if you haven't figured out your theology of prayer and figure out when I say this, God does this, when you f forget it, just pray anyway. Just pray when you think it does nothing. Pray when you don't feel like it makes any sense at all. Just pray. And when, you're, when you can't figure out what to say, shut up and listen. Just for a while. Because I think we're trying to figure out sometimes how this all works. And prayer's complicated. 
But God asked for it. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, always be joyful. Never stop praying. By the way, we pray not for the outcome. That's not our responsibility. We pray for the connection. We pray for the engagement. We pray because God has declared that that's something we should do. So that's why we pray and we leave the outcome to God. And let God worry about that. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Be grateful for what God has done, but never stop praying and just pray anyway, even when it doesn't make any sense to you. Because sometimes that's the only thing that gets us through. This year, if we're going to love well, I think you're going to need to renew a relationship that you let lapse, a relationship that's been broken over the last few years. And there's lots of different reasons why relationships have broken, but over the last few years, what I've seen more than anything is that our discourse online became so ugly and so vitriolic that we have destroyed other people, people that we love because of the way that we talk to them. You know that you can disagree with someone and still love them, right? You know that you can disagree with them and find a way to disagree with them and even have that conversation without destroying the relationship. And I think it's time for you and me to renew a relationship that we let lapse, that we let go. And the problem is right now, like 90% of you have that person in your head and you're thinking, well, okay, that's the one, but that's not the one because there's an easier one. That's the one. I'm sorry, that's the one that you're thinking about. Right? And, I, and I picked an interesting text for this one, Ephesians 4.29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Of all the things I say today, this is the one you're going to want to forget. This is the one that's going to be the hardest. Because this is the one that you're going to have to put yourself out there. Because you know what? That person that you let the relationship lapse with may absolutely have been abusive and ugly towards you. I, I, let, me, let me clarify that language. I don't want you to step back into abusive relationships, right? So be careful with that. But short of that, if the reason why that relationship is broken is because they were in the wrong, you're the one who's going to have to go and make it right. And that's a hard one. I understand that. But you know, we can do it if we just open our eyes to see what God is actually doing. Because when you get to that conversation, you're going to realize that God was already there. And if you've ever had those conversations with people, you know, people that you've broken a relationship with, and you begin to like, like process through it, right? You begin to like, like do a post-mortem on why you guys weren't talking. You have a tendency to realize like, oh, that's not what I, I didn't mean that. That's not what I meant. Well, that's what you said. No, that's, I actually thought I was saying this. No, that's not, oh, then why? So we haven't talked in five years. Why? And then you both look really stupid looking at each other. And you go, well, let's not let that happen again. It's not always the case. But we need to open our eyes to what God is already doing. Nothing that we do at Crosswalk Church as a congregation, nothing that we do will be something that is done before God has ordained it, before God has gotten there, before God has been a part of it. So what we need to do is rather than figuring out what our next thing that needs to happen is, is we need to open our eyes and see where God is already moving and then just get in God's line. Get in, the way, get in the same direction that God is moving. 
And when I think about opening your eyes, you know, I always think about the story of the road to Emmaus, which is a fascinating story, right? You've got these disciples and they're arguing with each other, walking along. So they're not agreeing. They're having conversation, trying to wrestle with what had happened and they're not sure. And Jesus shows up. But Jesus shows up and engages in the conversation and they don't even know it's Jesus. You know why? They're all up in their own business, right? Have you ever lived like that? Like you're so into your own conversation, you're so into your own argument that you don't even know that Jesus is there. And then it says this, suddenly their eyes are open. Like Jesus says something and they're like, whoa, oh wait, that's Jesus. And he's like, yep. And that's the moment he's like, you're good now. You got to recognize that I'm already here. I'm already working. I'm already part of this. Once you recognize that, the rest kind of takes care of itself. I think that's really exciting. There's another thing I want you to do. I want you to commit to coming to the Crosswalk Conference this year. And I know that sounds kind of self-serving, but there's a reason for it. It's October 6th through 8th. And we want everyone to come because last year it was kind of for church planters and people who wanted to start Crosswalk Churches and for our groups and our other campuses, their leadership teams. And it was great. But what we recognized is there were so many other people from, from our congregation, from all the other congregations and from other churches who wanted to grow, who wanted to grow spiritually, who wanted to mature, who wanted to grow in the professionalism in which they do their ministries, in the way that they run their small groups. And, and we are blessed to have access to a lot of experts and a lot of people who are doing this. And so we have, I, I like the way Colossians 1.9 says it, we've not stopped praying for everyone who wants to be involved in ministry since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. We want to be a part of that. This is part of spiritual growth, part of understanding. It builds community beyond these walls with those who are like-minded, who want to run ministries like you run and want to be involved in the same things that you're involved in, right? To connect others with Christ. And by the way, as we do that together, it says then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will, be, will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. That brings us back to the very first thing that I'm asking of you this year, that you be in Scripture every single day so that you might know God better and better. Here's kind of the last one. I want you to be belonging. Our first and I think most powerful end statement is that Crosswalk will be a community of belonging. That doesn't happen because we create more programs or we figure out our lobby better. It happens because you decided that you would be belonging. That the people that come into your sphere of influence would feel like they belong somewhere and they feel like they belong to you. Right? Whether it's small groups, level groups, crosswalk campuses, or just being open to being a friend of someone who needs a friend and say, no, you belong here. The only way we become a community of belonging, because it's not about the statements that we make, it's about the way we decide we will be belonging personally for the people that are around you. Now, this is a lot, right? This is a lot to remember. And I don't expect you to remember every single piece of this. I don't expect you to do every single piece of this, although it would be great. There's a few there that are going to be easy for you, a few there that are going to be really hard, a few there that you're not going to want to do, and some that you will purposely forget. I get that. But I need you to understand something. I'm walking over here because a lot of people are taking pictures. Not over here, just those people over there. 
the thing I want you to remember is this. Crosswalk is your church, right? Crosswalk is a church that only exists because of you, because of the commitment that you have to this community, to the commitment you have to these end statements. It only exists because you decided it was a place of quality and worth for you. It's not because I got a job here, the other pastors, you know, were placed here by the conference. It's because you decided that what you were hearing was resonating with you somewhere deep in your soul. And because that was resonating with you, you wanted more people to come that it might resonate with as well. And you wanted to, you know, build resources and, and grow this. And now we've got other campuses and other love world groups. It's all because of you. This is your church. Those end statements are your end statements that you've agreed are important in your lives. That you've agreed when you put on that crosswalk t-shirt or took that cup of coffee or put that bumper sticker on your car, that you said, this matters to me. It matters to me enough that I'm going to be a part of this. We're just blessed to be given the space and time to help lead it. But it's because of you. This church exists because you decided you wanted it to be part of your life and your ministry and your spiritual growth. Because of that, you're first off never alone when you're here. But the whole time God was prompting you and walking with you to make sure that you were never going to be alone in this journey. So this year, I can't tell you how excited I am about the things that God is already putting in place, the conversations that we're already having, the opportunities that we're going to see open up over the next year. But it's all because you committed and you decided this would be your home. So never think, first of all, that you're not welcome. And second of all, that you're not a part because you are. And I'm so glad to be on this journey with you. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thanks for being with us. Thanks for being a presence in this place when we worship. Thank you for the opportunity to do ministry and grow ministry and learn ministry, to grow spiritually. And Lord, I ask that we might worship you with reckless abandon, that we might find you in Scripture every day or that we will be belonging, we'll create new things, we'll pray no matter how we feel about it. And Lord, we'll leave the outcome of all of this to you, even as we invite people to come. It's, that's all yours. We just want to be a part of it. And Lord, may we open our eyes to see we are already working and lean into that so that, um, so that we can be effective followers of you. Lord, we pray all these things in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.